Well, good morning, everyone. And I want to ask you a question. What do you think of when you think of Mary, the mother of Jesus? Now, this picture up here is that's actually me playing Mary in, in our nativity play when I was a kindergartner in Hereford, Texas. So uh, maybe it was ordained that I was meant to, to preach on Mary all these years later, almost 40 years later. Um, but a lot of us do think of the nativity scene when we think of Mary. And so if that's what comes to mind when I say Mary, mother of Jesus, I'm hoping to change your mind or, or expand your mind today on who Mary was. There's a lot more to her than just that Christmas nativity scene. What I'd actually like for you to do is picture in your mind a strong young woman that you know, somebody that you admire greatly who is courageous and humble and helps others. The person coming to my mind, I've been listening to audio tapes with my dad of uh, my great-grandmother. And so the person coming to my mind is named Hannah. In 1903, she traveled from Arkansas to Texas in a covered wagon. And she drove that wagon because she could handle a team at 16 years old. So that I'm pretty ad admiring of that woman. So whoever's coming to your mind is great. We're, we're just going to kind of expand beyond that, picturing this um, quiet, gentle Mary with the blue um, over her head. And we're going to talk about a few things y'all probably know about Mary. She was a woman of great faith. She had great obedience to God. And she had great humility. And we know these things. Uh, I do want to share with you today what you might not know. She wasn't always quiet and gentle. She actually had a lot to say, and we're going to talk about some of the stories that she told and the songs that she sung. She also was a woman who was able to say yes to the impossible because she feared God and loved God. And what I want to present to us today is that we can also say yes to the impossible. She was also favored by God. And I have some news for y'all today, if you don't know. You are also favored by God. Sometimes we don't feel like that, or we think maybe there was special favor on Mary. But the truth is, it's all because of the grace of God. And as God's chosen people, if we've accepted him, we are also favored people. So that's some good news for you today. So just like Mary... I want us to remember that when we choose to surrender, we get to participate in the kingdom of God where nothing is impossible. That's our main point I want you to remember today. When we choose to surrender, we get to participate in the kingdom of God where nothing is impossible. So please pray with me. Father God, I thank you that you are allowing me to share this wonderful and incredible story of Mary, the mother of Jesus and one of your chosen people that you called out um, to be part of your story. Uh, Father, would you open our hearts up and our ears up and our minds up to receive what it is that you want us to hear today? Holy Spirit, would you speak to us both through your written word and through my words as I speak? Lord, I admit I can do nothing good apart from you. So Holy Spirit, I ask you to fill me to overflowing and that my words would be your words today. Lord, we want to be people who surrender to you just like Mary did. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So what you're going to see up on the screen is a painting by Henry Osawa Tanner. This is a painting called The Annunciation. If you're familiar with art, especially Christian art, this is a, there's a, 
It's a familiar story to tell in paintings of the Annunciation, which is just another way to say the scripture that we're going to read, which is the, the angel Gabriel announcing that Mary was going to have Jesus. And so what I love about this picture, a friend shared this with me. Um, you'll have to go look it up at home because you, you really need to see Mary's facial expressions. But um, she is a young girl living in humble means. Some of the other paintings that are famous, like um, Da Vinci painted this scene, but Mary's sitting in a palace. <laughs> and um, we know from scripture, Mary was a poor Jewish girl. And so I, I think this is a great kind of visual for you to have as we read our scripture today. So today we're going to open up the word of God to Luke 1. And we're going to read verses 26 through 38. I think that's on page 1088 in your pew Bible. So please read along with me. Luke 1, 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. So I wonder what stood out to you from that scripture reading. There's, there's a lot of pieces to it. I've read this quite a bit the last couple weeks, and so I'm hoping I can hit on some of the things that have stood out to you. One thing that we can't miss is that Mary believed the angel Gabriel when he said nothing is impossible with God. So I want to ask you today, do you believe that? You may have walked with the Lord for a really long time, but do you believe that God is in the business of performing miracles? And does anybody in here need a miracle today? I know that I do. I, I think every single person in this room could use a miracle of one kind or another. So tied with that, you know, Mary was willing to be surprised by God here. And when was the last time that you were utterly surprised by God? So I'm not talking about opening up the word and seeing something you hadn't seen in a while and it surprises you, although that's fun when that happens. I'm talking about when does God kind of knock you off your feet and really surprise you with something? And do you have a relationship with God where he gets to surprise you? I know for me, that idol of comfort and control means I often don't really like to be surprised. And sometimes I'm not as open to things not going according to my plan. So Mary was willing to be surprised by God. She trusted him even when she didn't understand him. 
I want to point out, you know, right before this in Luke 1, we read the story of Zechariah, who was the father of John the Baptist. The angel Gabriel came to him in much the same way, but he did not believe the angel. He questioned the angel. And so, Basically, he was made mute until the birth of John the Baptist. I also think of Eve in the Garden of Eden. She was living in paradise, and yet when confronted with an option, she chose to take of the fruit and trust in her own wisdom instead of the wisdom of the Lord. Now, Mary was a woman who chose to trust in the wisdom of the Lord, which is quite amazing. Along with that trust came an acceptance that she would be greatly misunderstood in her life. And that's actually on the easy side of it. On the hard side of it, from the time Gabriel announced this news to her, she was a Jewish girl who knew the law well. And so what could happen to her was she could actually be stoned to death for adultery. Now, I think she had faith in God to believe that wouldn't happen, but that is what could happen to her. She could also be divorced. Uh, The way it worked in Jewish culture at that time, a betrothal was a binding contract. So to, to get out of that, you actually had to go through a divorce. And so she had a lot at stake here. Now, thank you, God, we know that that's not what happened to her. But even without that, she spent the rest of her life being misunderstood. Because when we think about it, how many people in her village, in her surrounding area, actually believed that there was a virgin birth? I can't imagine that any of them did. So you know she was being judged and misunderstood all the time. Now, one thing I think we can often misunderstand here is the beauty of Mary is that she heard God. She listened to him and obeyed. So she saw God coming to her through the angel Gabriel right in front of her like that painting. Um, But what we have is the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And so a a neat thing about the book of Luke is in the first two chapters of Luke, the Holy Spirit's mentioned seven times. And so the Holy Spirit was at work here Um, revealing things to people and doing all kinds of work. The beauty we have now since Pentecost happened is when we accepted Christ, the Holy Spirit lives inside of each and every one of us. And you know what that means is that we can hear God when he speaks to us. I do think that's a tough thing for some of us to receive. So I, I read a book with some friends in my prayer group this past year. It was a wonderful book called Living Fearless by Jamie Winship, and it was really a practice in learning to hear God. And what we learned in that was to ask questions every day, questions like, Lord, what is it that you want me to know today? And Lord, what is it that you want me to do today? Those are great questions to ask. I think some of us, what I loved about this book is some of us think, I'm going to need to go to a monastery and be silent for a week, and then maybe I'll hear God say something, but I'm not even sure then. Um, or, or I need to have um, a very spiritual experience where I feel close to God, and then I can hear him speak. Well, what Jamie Winship says is you don't even need to light a candle. Just ask God a question and listen to the response and hold on to it. And so that's a really fun thing to practice that I would highly recommend. And we don't get it right 100% of the time, but guess what? We, we definitely don't get it right when we don't listen for God. So, um, so Mary was hearing God. I want us to be able to do that as well. And as we keep reading in the text, From the time Gabriel departed from Mary, 
we read that she went on to visit Elizabeth, her cousin. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and greeted Mary in such a way that Mary broke out into this song that was clearly inspired by the Holy Spirit as well. We know it as the Magnificat. Now, some things I studied that were really amazing to me this week is the Magnificat is considered su subversive and even revolutionary many times when it's read out loud. I don't know if y'all have seen it that way before. The poor and the oppressed around the world love the Magnificat. The powerful are a little bit afraid of it because it's dangerous. And so there's actually three countries uh, where it's been banned from being read. And I think it's India and, let me make sure I tell you all the right ones, India, Guatemala, and Argentina. At different times in history, it's been banned from reading the Magnificat in public. Now we live in a free country, we don't know the kind of oppression that Mary knew. But what I want you to think of as I read this is imagine some of our brothers and sisters around the world who are living in oppressed countries. Imagine those in war-torn regions who are truly suffering and read this and see how they might have seen Mary's Magnificat, which is Luke 1, 46 through 55. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. So we hear a lot in there, but I hope that you heard right there in verse 47 Mary says, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. So that's the humility of Mary admitting that she's in need of a Savior, even right there. You also kind of get a glimpse of the kind of king that she envisioned and hoped Jesus would be. She was looking for somebody to overthrow Herod. And Mary and Joseph were living in a time where Jewish people were occupied by the Roman Empire. They were highly taxed and mistreated, and so all of the Jewish people were crying out for a savior, but they were wanting somewhat of a political savior who's going to save them from their difficult circumstances. So what I want to point out to you next is, as a Jew, Mary struggled to accept Jesus for who he was. And he was a suffering servant. You and I know that because we have this whole Bible to read. Mary was thinking something quite different. And so we're going to look at Simeon in Luke 2, um, starting in verse 29. So Simeon was an old man, probably near the end of his life. He had been, Scripture says, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. So he was in the temple all the time. And when Jesus was presented at the temple by Joseph and Mary, Simeon comes up and says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. So that sounds good. Mary and Joseph were happy to hear that. This, the word says they marveled at what they heard. But then what's interesting is Simeon turned and he spoke only to Mary. 
And he said, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul too, so that thoughts from many hearts may also be revealed. So that feels a little different, doesn't it? We're suddenly getting a different picture. Up to this point, Mary heard from Gabriel that uh, Jesus would be born and be a great king. She heard from the shepherds who heard from the angels that Jesus is here to be worshiped and glorified. She heard from the magi who presented the gifts to Jesus and bowed down and worshiped him. So of course she's expecting a great king. And yet right here, Simeon's announcing that the future king's glory would come through sorrow and suffering. This was the first time for Mary to kind of take this in, that this reign and this change of power would come at great cost to Jesus and to herself. And so Mary struggled from there on through much of Jesus' life. She struggled with the the aspects of his ministry that didn't quite make sense to her. And as we know, most, most of Jesus' followers were struggling. His disciples were trying to figure out what he was up to almost all the time because he didn't really fit the mold that the Jewish people had set for who the Messiah would be. A couple of examples of that are when Jesus is in the temple at age 12, that's later in Luke. Um, they go to Jerusalem for the Passover The whole family leaves, and a couple days in, they realize Jesus isn't with them. They eventually find him at the temple, and Mary's really mad, and I think every mom can relate to that. If your kid has been missing for three days and just wasn't keeping up with you, he's 12. He knew how to keep up with his family. She was pretty mad, but his response was, why are you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Now, for a mother, think how that must have hit her. He's differentiating from her that his home is not the same home of Mary and Joseph. And maybe that he's on a different path than she thought he would be on. It happens again when Jesus starts his public ministry in Mark 3, and Mary goes to where Jesus is preaching and teaching, and she brings her sons, Jesus' brothers, and they wait outside the door and they want to speak with Jesus. And Jesus won't go outside, and he actually says, who are my mothers and brothers? It's those who do the will of God. Now, I think that would probably hurt Mary's heart just a little bit to hear that. Uh, What I think Jesus was saying there is that he's looking for followers. He's creating a new family of God. And what I hope happened there, and we know happened eventually, is that Mary decided she was no longer Jesus's mother who needed to be looked after and rescued, but she was Mary who needed to sit at the feet of Jesus and become his disciple. Now, the hardest thing that Mary had to do was watch Jesus die on the cross. And what we know is that um, she was right there because Jesus spoke to her on the cross. So there's a quote from a book I read called The Real Mary by Scott McKnight that really helped me understand this situation. Mary learned that there was another way to read the Bible's vision of the Messiah. There was the messianic theme of victory and triumph. And there was the messianic theme of suffering with others instead of others and on behalf of others. Suffering for others was a theme written into the very fabric of Jewish life. For the Passover observance itself revealed a lamb was to be slain to liberate the children of God. The final lesson Mary would learn in Jesus' lifetime was that the Passover blood would be Jesus' own blood. 
McKnight goes on to say, she had to learn the Messiah's task was to bring redemption and justice through death on a cross. That through that death, he would create a new family where justice and peace would take root through self-sacrificing love. Now, you and I know this. This is the beautiful story of the gospel. This is what we know had to happen for um, our sins to be forgiven. And yet for Mary, she had to realize that for herself. And praise God, she did. We know she did because she was there at the cross and then she saw that empty tomb. And we'll talk a little bit more about the rest of her story in a moment. But just like Mary learned, we can also learn today when we choose to surrender, we get to participate in the kingdom of God where nothing is impossible. So we know Mary surrendered her life to Jesus and her life was truly a life of surrender. I bet y'all remember from the Christmas story in Luke 2 that Mary pondered things and treasured them up in her heart. Now, I've always pictured that as uh, Mary kind of over in the corner just quietly observing and holding on to all these special memories. When you look at the Greek root words for treasure and ponder, what it actually means is protection, remembrance, preserving, and observing. So Mary was actually pondering and treasuring in order to make sense of Jesus' life so that she could narrate what God was doing in history. Because, you may not realize this, but Mary was the first person to share the gospel story of Jesus. Mary's gospel story about Jesus eventually becomes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But if we could trace those stories back to their earliest beginnings, it's Mary's voice that we would hear. And of, of course it is. She's the only one who could tell some parts of that story. So what does this mean for us today? What does it mean to be like Mary, favored and surrendered to God? Well, something I've read recently that I'm really drawn to is this idea of the middle voice, a prayer of surrender that's actually a prayer of participation. So in English, we have two voices. There's active and passive voice. So it could be, uh, active would be, I give advice. Passive would be, Blake takes, Blake is given advice. Although usually you're giving me advice, aren't you, Blake? <laughs> um, the middle voice would be, I take advice. And so it's a, it's a joining with the active voice in participation. It's joining in the action of another. And so what Eugene Peterson says is, this is the, and, and sorry, ancient Greek was the language of the New Testament. So this is what Eugene Peterson says is how Jesus prayed and Mary prayed. And what he says is, the assumption of spirituality is that always God is doing something before I know it. So the task is not to get God to do something I think needs to be done, but to become aware of what God is doing so that I can respond to it and participate in it and take delight in it. And isn't that a beautiful idea? So I, I first learned about this reading a book called Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools, which is a wonderful book. And so some of what is just an exciting thing to think about is that we can pray in the middle voice. We can pray like Mary did. And, and Eugene Peterson says that was the voice of the Garden of Eden. It was a participation and a joining with God. So remember, again, when we choose to surrender, we get to participate in the kingdom of God where nothing is impossible. So I want to leave y'all with something a lot of us don't realize, and it's that Mary's story did not end at the cross or at the tomb. She actually showed up at Pentecost. She was at Pentecost receiving the Holy Spirit. So if we go to Acts 1.14, what we read is, 
All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So how amazing to think that Mary birthed Jesus, the Son of God, and, and not 35 years later, there she is in the center of a growing church where the Holy Spirit's moving, and she was part of all of it. So she became a follower and disciple of Jesus. I want to end with something from that book, Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools, that I just love. And it's this idea that Jesus prayed nearly identical words to Mary when he said, Not my will, but yours be done in the Garden of Eden. You know, he was saying, take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. That's a prayer of participation in the middle voice. Sounds a lot like Mary's may it be to me, according to your word. So Jesus was praying the prayers of his mother that he must have heard her pray as a child. And isn't that a beautiful thought? So I believe if it's good enough for Mary and it's good enough for Jesus, I want to ask you to pray that prayer of participation with me today. So please repeat after me. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me according to your word. Amen.